Midnight Breakfast Cafe, where several pals talk about pop culture, food, and other nonsense. I'm Tracy. I'm Natalie. And Stacy is recovering from her vacation, so today it's just the two of us. How's it going, Natalie? Mm, it's going okay. It's Friday evening when we're recording, and I'm worn out from a long week. I think we're worn out from a long summer. I don't know when summer was like vacation time, but it feels like it was just exhaustion time. Yeah. Well, in my mom's house, we always watch these reality shows that I would like to say that I am too good for, or I watch a better quality of show than this. But when I'm here, suddenly I'm like, oh my God, yes, house renovations and Big Brother. I now care about the most recent season of Big Brother, and I have a secret love of reality shows, it turns out. It's just that it can only be in several categories, and that's house renovation. Picking out houses, or cleaning up houses, or people in houses causing a ruckus. It's all house-based. Wow. So, and this is this is a new development? Like, reality TV never had much of a an impact on you when you were younger? I actually really liked Survivor back when it was, like, the first reality show that I remember on network TV. Like, I think the first ever reality show is supposed to be Real Worlds or one of those MTV type shows. But I remember Survivor came out and I was like, you mean they're going to strand these fools on a desert island with no food and we just get to see what happens? I was riveted by this. And even to this <laughs> day, I think I could pick up Survivor and be perfectly happy. But like the shows are also meta now. Like every person who gets on there, they're like, I've seen the last 10 seasons of this show. I know all the heroes and all the villains and I've had my strategy plan since I was 10 years old. So bring it on. Like, it's not exactly the survival scenario I was imagining of just a bunch of modern people thrust into this difficulty. It's more like now it's all really pat and the same twists happen every time. So do you enjoy reality shows at all? I've had, like, phases. There was, like, that one time that I had insomnia, so I would, like, watch America's Next Top Model obsessively on YouTube, and this was kind of back when you could watch TV shows on YouTube, because, like, they hadn't figured out how to police it that, that well yet, so you could usually watch it before they took it down. Right. Yeah, so I really liked America's Next Top Model, but I didn't really like the drama, so I would, like, fast forward through the cat fights and just watch the photo shoots. Now, see, I'm not positive I've ever seen a full episode of America's Next Top Model. I guess, like, I didn't really watch, like, Survivor or um, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or, like, Big Brother or any of those shows. So I only kind of knew of them through other shows. Like, when I think of um, reality TV, I think of, like, I think it's the fourth season of House. <laughs> where he has, like, a bunch of medical interns or residents or whatever, and then he, like, gradually winnows them down to, like, three or four people. <laughs> like, there was, like, a Survivor episode where he has, like, four Bunsen burners to, like, represent the flames. I think there was there was one where he did roses. Oh, like The Bachelor? Yeah. <laughs> and then so... When I think of reality TV, that's what I think about. I think about Hugh Laurie being Dr. House. And actually, one funny thing that I noticed is at the end of every episode of Big Brother, at the very bottom in tiny print, they credit George Orwell. <laughs> oh. Because he invented that phrase, so they have to. But it's so far removed from anything he would have liked or approved of. <laughs> <laughs> 
it just it just puts a weird thought in my head like yep we're living in that dystopia and i am participating willingly <laughs> i i don't know though i think like he might be outraged but he might be like riley amused by the whole thing possibly but it would require a lot of like bringing him up to speed before he could find that funny yeah i don't know what kind what george orwell's sense of humor was Except that it may have been twisted. It was a pretty dark sense of humor. Like, 1984 has its funny moments, but only if you're really stretching it. Like, the level of sort of wordplay and irony that he engages in shows a sort of sense of humor, but it's not funny. It's really dire. I just, I remember I had to read it in high school and not being very impressed by it. Really? Did you, was this something that you revisited later, or was it that's still how you feel about it? That's, that's the only time I read it. I also read Animal Farm in 19, in high school, not in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like horrified by it. I was horrified that the sad horse was sent to the glue factory. It's a sad book. I guess like, I don't like the abrasiveness of a lot of dystopian fiction. That's understandable in this day and age. It's a little too close for comfort. But is there a dystopian book or series that you do like? No, because I read books to get away from shitty stuff. I don't read books to kind of explore it more deeply. What about utopian books then? Is there like a series you consider like utopian? Well, like, now it's just going to sound like I'm griping. <laughs> <laughs> but if things are hunky-dory, then what's the point about reading about it? Like, I want to read about like Atlantish adventures where heroes are rewarded and villains are punished. Yeah. Like a just a cracking good story. Yeah. I, the only book I've ever read that I would say was a strongly utopian book was called Childhood's End. It's basically about aliens who come to Earth and they're like, we're going to help you become way better than you are now. And the aliens are like, here's some technology, here's some science, here's some leisure, you know. Everything about your life is good. And the humans the whole time are like, what's the catch? And basically, eventually, they figure out the catch. A lot of the book is spent just like, humans have it easy now. What did you feel about The Giver? Because The Giver was also a deeply upsetting book for me. I haven't read The Giver. This is something okay. that it's been in my Kindle like since the dawn of time, because I know, I know how badly I need to fill this gap in my knowledge. No, because I didn't like The Giver. And this is going to sound really bad, because I don't even remember what the main character's name is, but he was like a little shithead anyway. Didn't really? like him. Ugh. I think it's, like, a 13-year-old boy, and, um, like, when you turn 13, you start, like, learning your trade to be, like, a grown-up, and this boy, he is assigned to be the giver, and basically he is learning to be, like, a psychic receptacle of history and memory, mm. because that sort of knowledge is now forbidden, and then it's kind of like a futuristic society that is also kind of primitive in like a 1950s sort of way. And then um, everyone takes these pills that suppress their emotions. Uh -huh. And um, as part of being the giver, he is no longer allowed to take these pills. So he starts to have all these feelings. Like he starts having emotions and he starts realizing that this like little utopia town that he lives in is like horrifying that sounds pretty dire but i guess it's sort of like a like at that age it's probably your first dystopia well now like the kids these days have hunger games so you don't need the giver okay so 
I was watching my favorite channel called HGTV. And when I was looking at the names of all the shows that they had on there, I realized they were bonkers. And so in the style of one of my favorite podcasts, Pop Culture Happy Hour, I have made a quiz for Natalie. But what I will do is I will name four shows. Three of them are real. One of them I made up. Okay. <laughs> and Natalie is going to guess which one is the fake show. And Natalie, have you watched HGTV? Do you have a chance of knowing any of these? I don't have cable. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here are the four shows. I, I actually, maybe I broadened my scope from HGTV. I don't remember. HGTV is like home goods. Home garden. Home garden. I don't even know what HGTV stands for. It's like the channel of Property Brothers and House Hunters. And so, okay. But here they are. Okay. Zombie house flipping. Castle hunters. Tiny house truckers. Or junk gypsies. Zombie house flippers? Zombie house flipping is a real show. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is what? actually the show that made me inspired to make this. Um, upon closer examination, what they mean is when a house becomes abandoned, it could be known as a zombie house if you very much want your opening graphic to look like a zombie house. So they go in and they flip the house and they sell it. Is the truckers the fake one? Yes. Tiny House Truckers is the show that I made up. Okay. This was, I was envisioning a show where a trucker carried a tiny house in the back of their truck, but I later found out there is a show called Cabin Truckers or something, which sounds like exactly the same idea that I had. So the show basically exists. It's just not called Tiny House Truckers. But Castle Hunters and Junk Gypsies are both real shows. No, I can totally understand Castle Hunters. I would watch that show because it's like a castle. Junk Gypsies? I can understand the appeal. Um, I did watch the the show when I was little. Like, but it's like you bring them your antique, and then they like tell you if it's good or a piece of junk. Yeah, Antiques Roadshow. I realized I did make a second one. Do you want to do a second one? Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know what any of these are about. They all just seem to be similar pun titles to me. So, okay, here it is. Love Yurts. Honey, I'm house hunting. He Shed, She Shed, or Home Sweet Headache. What is the third one? He Shed, She Shed. Like like Backyard oh, Sheds. Oh, okay. I thought it might be about dogs. No, all these are about that shed. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah. you want to hazard a guess which of these is a fake show? The fourth one? Home Sweet Headache is a real show. What? Why? <laughs> Why would you make a show about, like, your home being a headache? Because you're renovating it. It's causing you distress. Um, so, Love Yurts and He Shed, She Shed are also real shows. Honey, I'm House Hunting is the show that I made up. Wow. You could be a TV producer. <laughs> I could make up <laughs> names of shows. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's all I got in that vein. Maybe next time I'll find some more reality shows with terrible titles. Um, do you want to talk about our favorite TV shows? Like favorite TV shows of all time? No, like favorite childhood shows that like you would have difficulty explaining to your children why you watched them. Oh, that's a good question. What I really liked were like shittier versions of Hercules and Xena. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Like the other low-budget things that were filmed in New Zealand, like um, Beastmaster, yes. The Lost World, Cleopatra, 25, 25, 32, 32, like 
something. And um, Jack of all trades. Yeah, Jack of all trades. Who was that? It was Bruce Campbell, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was a shit show, but I watched it anyway. I just remember there being so many like sexual double entendres in that show. I'm like, this may be above my age range. <laughs> But it was always, like, in fun, I think. Do you remember, like, Beastmaster and, like, the Sorceress was, like, in, like, this body-hugging, like, push-up bra dress? Didn't she, like, she was a bird or something? There was more than one Sorceress. (laughs) (laughs) I, like, don't remember these shows, but I remember I really liked them. And then, like, I discovered, like, Firefly when we were, like, living together. Right. And I was like, oh my god, it scratches that itch. That itch I didn't know I I still had, but (laughs) it is like that need where it's kind of like low-budget, campy, corny adventures with like B-list actors and like B-writing. Yeah, there's something about the dialogue in those types of shows that it's like silly, but it's appealingly blunt at times. Maybe because like the relationships move along faster or it's less angsty or something. Yeah. I remember one show that I was super into was called Roar, and it starred young Heath Ledger. Like, youngest baby Heath Ledger was the star of this show, which was about, like, I don't know, like, Scottish Highlander guys or something? Swordsman types? And this was, like, lots of good-looking guys and swordsy adventures, which is really what I'm looking for at that age, I think. Like, was it historical or, like, fantastical or...? I know that it, it... I'm guessing it had fantasy elements, but I remember it being at least trying to be historical. I am not going to stand up for the historical accuracy <laughs> of the show. <laughs> oh, another one that I liked was called Young Jules Verne. And it's it's one of the only steampunk shows I know. To this day, mm-hmm. what is another steampunk show? But this was. It was about young Jules Verne, and he had like three friends in a hot air balloon Zeppelin kind of thing. And they just went from place to place, and it had that real low-budget, campy, sexy thing that all these mm-hmm. shows had going on. And then, like, something that is, like, a cousin is, like, the dialogue of Law & Order. Yeah. Where they say something, and then they have the the, the gavel sound. Boom, boom. Yeah, but the thing is, like, whatever they say, it's not, like, a great line. You know, Your Honor, I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> or it reminds me of like when you're reading comic strips in the newspaper and it sounds like they came up with the punchline first and it was not a very strong punchline, but they decided <laughs> they got to make one of these every day. They just had to go for it. <laughs> you know, like I'm such a stickler where you're like, that doesn't make sense. I hate it. Like, why are you doing this? That doesn't make sense. But then like, for some reason, like, if you present me with one of these shows, I'm like, I don't care. It's cool. You can do whatever you want. They remove all the pressure of like being high quality because you have to know going into it, it's not going to be high quality. So your expectations shift accordingly so you can enjoy its silliness. And actually, one of these that was not so long ago, and actually, Natalie, if you were looking for this right now, I maybe would actually recommend this show, but it was the BBC Robin Hood, which... It was a pretty good cast, or at least the cast went on mm-hmm. to do other things. And all I can tell you is that this was like an adaptation of Robin Hood that had an episode where like the uh, guy of Gisborne or whoever the villain was like hosted a casino night in the castle. <laughs> and they all had to dress up in like casino outfits to infiltrate it. <laughs> um, but if you're looking for campy nonsense. Okay. What are your favorite British shows? Um... Black Mirror is a British show, right? Yeah, it is. Okay, that's one of my favorites. Um, Just because it's so short and concise, and 
often depressing that it, it gets me in my morbid spot. But in terms of more lighthearted fare, I do like Doctor Who. I haven't seen every episode of Doctor Who because I'm pretty sure nobody has. But I haven't even seen like half of the modern Doctor Who. It's more like I check in when I'm in the mood for that. Um, mm-hmm. Have you watched Foil's War or um, Call the Midwife? No, and I think you were the one recommending Call the Midwife, and I have not yet gotten to it. Um, kind of reminds me of Poro, where it is like a, a murder mystery, and in the beginning, it's always like it's always a rich person who did it, because usually there's like a rich person or an a poor person, both stand you know to gain a lot from the crime. And it's always the rich person. But by the time, like, season two runs around, they're like, oh, we can't do the rich person anymore. we got to mix it up sometimes. And in Call the Midwife, it is a strange show where there's a lot of unsexy, really, really unsexy women in bed scenes. <laughs> as you would imagine. Like, is it graphic midwifery? Or is it they're trying to, to spare you a little bit? <laughs> They try to spare you a little bit, but you always see, like, the bloody sheets and stuff. Okay. And um, it kind of follows the changes in society. So, like, in the first season, everyone has bloody sheets, but then they start lining the sheets with, like, newspaper, and then they get, like, rubber sheets. Oh. And then, like, first there's, like, a lot of screaming and because giving birth is not fun. And then they have, like, episodes where they have gas. So the women have, like, gas while they're giving birth. How much do you value historical accuracy in a piece of entertainment? Like, not a documentary, obviously, but, like, say it's a historical movie or historical book. Like, how much are you looking for all the details to be just right? Well, the thing is, like, if I can't tell, then bravo to you. (laughs) And there's also, like, the point where it's just, like, whatever. And that is fine, too. Right. Um, where they're like, we're not even gonna try at this point. <laughs> um, that works too, but like the things that bother me is like when one aspect is quite realistic, like they spend a lot of time on the sets and they spend a lot of time on the costumes. And then like, you're like, but why do you sound vaguely American? <laughs> <laughs> like it takes you out of that fantasy yeah. history. But if everything's kind of shitty, then it's fine. Right. Like, I'm not going to go in nitpicking things that never even cared to begin with. But the thing is, I really enjoy it when I learn something new from a show set in a historical period. So it's not that I'm critiquing it, because I just don't know. I really like it when something like you say with the rubber sheets. Like, to me, that's a little intriguing. I never thought about that. So Mm -hmm. if I watch the show and I feel like now if we got stuck in a conversation about that time period, I maybe would have, like, one interesting quip to contribute. That is a, Mm -hmm. a good historical show in my mind. I would say Downton Abbey had an appealing veneer of historical accuracy without perhaps mm-hmm. actually being historically accurate. I never looked into how closely it adhered to the actual time periods in which it was trying to be set. Yeah, so I know like one of the things that they really um, stressed was that the makeup was um, period appropriate. So if it didn't exist, they weren't allowed to use it. Oh. So that's why like the girls like don't have... They either don't have mascara or they don't have eyeliner. They must have had eyeliner back then. I thought they were using eyeliner in, like, ancient Egypt. Yeah, maybe it was the mascara. What is your favorite comedy? Oh, that's the hard question, but, like, it sprung to mind very quickly, and it is Young Frankenstein. 
of all the Mel Brooks movies, I tend to prefer the ones that are a little more high concepts, you know, like the ones that take place in a specific time and place and genre that he can really roll around in, like Spaceballs, mm-hmm. uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, although I caught a little bit of that on TV the other day and I was, hmm, maybe I need to rewatch some of these. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like Doctor Strangelove? I did like Dr. Strangelove. Really? Yeah, that's like, it's obviously a comedy, but it's not, it, it's laughs per minute is not where I need it to be in order for it to be one of my favorite comedies. I consider it more like a, a particularly good satire than a particularly good comedy. So what happened was I had to watch this for like my 1914 to present European history course. Cool. And I watched this movie twice because I had to write a paper on it and that I had had nothing to say on <laughs> Doctor Strange Love, and I did not understand what it had to do with nuclear war. <laughs> Besides, you know, it ends. No, like you try writing a history paper on that. Like what? <laughs> like what? I like just was so baffled by the entire movie, and then I was like, I don't know how to take any of this. Yeah. And, like, why do they keep on talking about fluids? <laughs> I mean, dissecting a joke is like dissecting a frog. <laughs> I don't know what no, to tell you. I'm sure, like, the professor assigned it because he's like, oh, you know, this is the fun assignment that, you know, will teach young people to love history. And I just found it completely baffling. <laughs> Okay, so what is, like, your favorite comedy, then? Or, like, a genre that you would... A subgenre that's your favorite type of comedy? My favorite movie is Mary and Max, but I don't think that's a comedy. <laughs> like, I think it's funny. It definitely has some funny moments, but it is a, a quite a depressing film, I would say. It has certain uplifting qualities, but a real downer in certain ways. I also quite like Layer Cake, which is also quite dark. I like the Simon Pegg... Shaun of the Dead. Right. Do you like the rest of his Cornetto trilogy? Like, um... I didn't like the Alien one. I oh, liked yeah. Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz would be top ten comedies for me. Yeah. Although, so is Shaun of the Dead. Do they have to fight? I like Shaun of the Dead better. I also like Wes Anderson movies. Mm, yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, if I have, like, a favorite laugh-out-loud comedy that I watch when I'm feeling blue. And that might be, like, Bridget Jones's Diary. Oh, Yeah. Like a romantic comedy, or you just like that it's sort of sassy humor? Like, I'm not a huge fan of romantic comedies because I find them sappy and unrealistic. Mm. You know, there are, like, movies that you watch because you like, and then there are movies that you watch when you're sick because you just don't have brain power. Right. And then romantic comedies are, like, something that I watch when I'm in bed with a fever because they do not require much mental power. Yeah. And typically you can like fall asleep and wake up and keep on watching. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> You'll pick up the plot. Mm-hmm. So do you like a, a movie like Airplane? Like a uh, real, I would say, pun-based humor? No, I'm not a, <laughs> I don't like pun-based humor. Um, no. No. I've only <laughs> seen parts of it. Um, But I found... Did you guys make me watch, like, another one where it takes place in San Francisco and there is, like, a preposterous car scene and there is, like, a stolen something or other? Was it Naked Gun? Is it when they make love but they're wearing giant condoms? 
<laughs> I cannot recall, but it sounds like something <laughs> that happened in Naked Gun. Yeah, I don't feel like that would be for you. I think you just like movies where the the characters are witty to each other. Like, where it's not a comedy, like, the audience is supposed to be in on it, maybe, but, like, when I've seen you, like, really laugh at things, it's because, like, the characters were themselves making jokes, not necessarily because they were being buffoonish. You do not like buffoonism very much, I think. No. Or because they're getting slapsticks around, but just because they're witty people. For, like, Bridget Jones' Diary, like, you know, like, the more you- how many times have you seen that movie? Like, once back when it first came out. Oh, Okay. I, I haven't read the book, but, like, when I first watch it, watched it, I really liked, like, um, Bridget Jones' storyline with, like, Darcy and the four weddings and the funeral guy, Hugh Grant. <laughs> but, like, upon subsequent rewatchings, like, now I focus more on the parent's story and how, like, the mom leaves to, like, date this orange man on TV. <laughs> but she comes back and he forgives her. And then, yeah, like... It's weird, like, when you really like movies and you watch them for, like, different parts. Yeah. What do you want in a movie? I want different things from different genres of movie. A movie that is designed for my entertainment instead of informing me of something. All I want it to do is successfully entertain me. And really, the one thing that could prevent it from doing that is ruining my suspension of disbelief. So a movie that is too nonsensical or raises too many questions in my head, it prevents me from, like, having that moment of total zen escaping into the movie. Isn't your favorite film, like, Brazil? Brazil? I don't have any questions about Brazil. Brazil is just me soaking in the goodness of some Terry Gilliam uh, post-apocalyptic nonsense. Like, for me, that's it's peak brain euphoria during a movie. Like, I would say that's one of my favorite films specifically because it totally takes you away to this world where everything is crazy and sort of beautiful in a dark way. That film is terrifying. It's terrifying, but you know I like a little of that. <laughs> <laughs> what I don't like is a movie where, okay, we introduce the characters and five minutes later I'm like, but, but you said, then why are they acting this way? Why did she do that? Why is it that to solve this problem, that was their first idea? That's the kind of stuff that takes me out of a movie. Is not that it's inherently absurd, but that they established something and they didn't stick with it. So mm -hmm. I would say absurdism is a way to bypass that completely and make me just shut down my suspension of disbelief <laughs> before I even have to see the rest of the movie. Unlike you, I only like movies that make me feel good. Like, I don't like scary movies, and I don't like movies with bad endings okay and i don't like movies that have like tough lessons about life a movie has to set the mood for me within the first five to ten minutes and then it has to be consistent within that expectations so like if it's really silly in the first five ten minutes then like you like that that flip is just like switched off and then like i will continue with the film you know like um wes anderson's the Grand Budapest Hotel, like, so many things happen within the first 10 minutes that you're like, well, I don't know what this movie is about. And then there's, like, pink Nazis, and you're like, okay, well, I guess, <laughs> fine. Mexican standoff? Cool, whatever. And that movie also starts, like, in media's rest, so the beginning part is setting quite a different tone than the rest of the movie ends up having. It takes place in a graveyard, right? The first scene is, like, in a graveyard, and then it goes to the hotel, and it's, like, uh, Jude Law talking to an old guy, and then it, like, goes back. Right. And it keeps on switching. So 
yeah, like you just have five to 10 minutes, like you have to be very consistent in tone or you have to have such a variance in tone that I understand that that's what you're going for. But Mm -hmm. like, you have to have me buy in and then like, then you got to keep me entertained. Right. And that's about it. But I know that's really hard, but I do really like Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah. But I think it's violent all the way through. So you're pretty much, you know what you're getting yourself into. Plus you've seen other Tarantino movies. Yeah, I also really like Jackie Brown. I also really like movies that have extended sequences of eating or food preparation. Oh. Like cooking. So what is a movie that uh, has tickled your funny bone in this area? Like Ratatouille is like a film where they have like... Pixar's pretty good about like doing food scenes. Yeah. Um, food movies. This could be another topic, I think. I probably... If I put my mind to it, because my mom really likes food movies, so I probably know some more of them. My mom loves movies where, like, it's in a quaint place, they have something good to eat, and, like, it's the lady meeting a handsome guy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Eat, Pray, Love, Under the Tuscan Sun, um, the one about Keanu Reeves and the wine fields. I don't remember them all. <laughs> but, no. I liked Under the Tuscan Sun. What was the one about, on the one side of the street, is like a French restaurant, and on the other side of the street is an Indian restaurant, and they fight. Is that like Helen Mirren and that Slumdog Millionaire guy? Yeah, I think so. I never watched this movie. It looks like a movie that would make me hungry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you watch Chef, the British show Chef? We. I thought you were talking about the movie Chef. What is the show Chef? Okay, it's like a black British chef, and well, it's just like the misadventures of his kitchen, but he's like a real dick. But it's always, like, every episode is him getting into a big mess and then, like, having to get out of it again. But it's usually, like, he caused it himself because, not because he's incompetent, but because he's arrogant. So is this a show where they would show you, like, what they were cooking? Or was it just, like, the kitchen aspects? There was food, too, but it was mostly, like, him, like, mouthing off and saying, like, I'm a French chef. I don't cook English breakfast. Uh-huh. And the next scene is him cooking English breakfast. <laughs> well, I guess this kind of comes back around to reality TV because one of my favorite types of reality shows that I did not already mention is Food Network reality shows where it's just competitions involving food. Like, you're chopped and you're Master Chef. And you're Master Chef Junior and Great British Baking Show. Oh my gosh, those. Those shows make me feel so anxious and like towards the end, like I'm curled up in a ball, like on the couch and I'm like, oh my God, like, will they make it in time? And then, then you see things like the, the episode, or I guess this is a spoiler, where she took out the ice cream. I don't know which one you're talking about, but. She took out the ice cream, so it melted and then like he didn't have anything to present and you're like, why? You were such a cute construction guy. Um, we could have done great things. Yeah, it's always like they're trying to amp up the tension, like as if something will go wrong. But every so often, something does go badly wrong. And it always like, mm-hmm. like there was a show for a while that was about food sculptures. It was like they would build something out of fruit or out of donuts or whatever it was that day. And all I had to do was see one episode where the sculpture fell at the end. And I was like, I'm done with this show forever. <laughs> yeah. Like it fell over before they even got to the judging table. And I cannot handle it. And that show is no longer on Food Network, as far as I can tell. So maybe this was everyone else's reaction, too. I guess, like, it. I don't know. They just give me so much anxiety. And, like, I feel so, so much for, 
you know, all the contestants where it's like, you have one hour to make three dishes that contain these five ingredients. (laughs) Here's one basket. Go! Like, I would just start crying. (laughs) (laughs) But in most of these shows, they are chefs. Like, they've either worked in a kitchen or they consider themselves to be, like, professional grade home chefs. So, like, they they understand this pressure a little bit or they have these full recipe books in their mind like the idea Mm -hmm. of like you or i being on chopped is like horrifying but for them it's like i got this i know exactly what i'm gonna make yeah no i would just be like sobbing into my cutting board (laughs) (laughs) i've always wanted to play home chopped which is sort of what most people play every night when they are trying to figure out what to make (laughs) for dinner but i'm like i'm gonna invite my friends over and it's just like all right we have half a cucumber, uh, almost finished pint of Ben and Jerry's, and a mm-hmm. bag of Snickers. What can you make for dinner? And then they get to raid my kitchen for all the ingredients they need and make something horrifying that we all have to taste. That does sound quite fun. <laughs> um, so yesterday was my mom's lunar birthday. And like, as I don't own a lunar calendar, she just has to tell me when her birthday was. Basically, we got to her house and then she's like, well, I'm going to do yoga. And you put dinner on the table. Well, really? Yeah. So I had an hour and I made reverse seared steak and a salad. And that was what I had prepped for. She told me she had romaine lettuce, but we got home and there was no romaine lettuce. So I had to make the salad without romaine lettuce, but it turned out all right. The thing that I wasn't expecting was she wanted to have potatoes. And then so she gave me these three potatoes that had like sprouts growing all all over them. And then this was like 20 minutes into like my one hour. And then she's like, oh, you have to like get rid of the little sprouts because they're poisonous. I don't know if they're poisonous. They might be poisonous. They are nightshades. But as I'm like making the steak, I'm like trying to chop up the potatoes to make into home fries because I didn't think I had enough time to roast them. And then so, like, there's, like, three burners going, and I'm, like, counting and stirring. And then I'm just like, why is no one helping me? I don't like this at all. This is very stressful. Yeah, you should not have, like, the chopped kitchen sprung on you, I feel. No one wants that. (laughs) And then the the steak was more cooked than I wanted it to be. Oh. And Melody, my youngest sister, of course, refused to eat the salad. Salad sounds good, though. Yeah, and I was like, if I knew you weren't going to eat it, then... I wouldn't have made so much. Damn. Well, it certainly sounds like you did the best you could under the circumstances. Really, yeah, Chopped Kitchen, it's like our parents' house. Like, you show up there and it's like, what are we going to make? And it's like, let's see what you have in the fridge. But I like, I don't know, like, how people do it because my brain was not meant to hold three pieces of information at the same time. Well, like, you were, you're cooking, it sounds like, like four different things at once. It's too many things. I'm pretty sure even chefs aren't trying to cook four dishes at the same time. Yeah, but like you're you're like when the steak is in the oven, you prep the salad and when the salad is done, you start prepping the potatoes, but you have to remember to keep on checking the steak with a thermometer to make sure it doesn't overcook. And then like another mistake I made, which is a rookie mistake that uh, that Gordon guy would be really upset with me is like I didn't wait for the pan to get hot enough before I seared it. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, Natalie, you've done this before. You've made most of these dishes before. Like, you know how to make them. Why are you still being a shithead about this? But the thing is, I don't know about you, but when I'm cooking in a perfectly zen atmosphere, like, let's say it's just me, it doesn't matter when dinner's finished, and, like, it's just there's nothing that could go wrong in terms of time, 
I do my little mise en place. I get all my little bowls out with the ingredients and everything is prepped and sitting on the counter. And so then when it's <laughs> time to cook, it all goes really smoothly. But if I am forced to cook when I wasn't ready or if I misjudged how much time I had and at the end I'm scrambling, that's when I make really bad mistakes. It's just like, I don't know, because I never, you describe the Zen thing and I never have the Zen thing. I'm always swearing. Oh, man. But, like, if it's just you eating, then who cares when you eat? That's, like, the perfect cooking experience is when you're not that hungry and you have all night. Yeah. Are you going to cut out the whole plot line of the alien story? I'm going to cut out the ending of all the books we've talked about. It should be like reading Rainbow, where it's like, you'll have to read it to find out. Is that really how reading Rainbow was? Yeah. What? I totally miss this. They were like, ask your mom to go to the library and get the book for you. So I'm like, look, I have to find out how this book ends. And she's like, okay, like in a week we'll go. And then I'd forgotten all about it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes to help new listeners find us. If you have a question or a comment, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at NBC Podcasts. For links to all of the things we talked about today, including the many movies and shows, check out our blog, midnightbreakfastcafe.wordpress.com, where you can also subscribe to our newsletter, Wednesday Cafe. Have a happy breakfast and brunch, everyone. <laughs>